Hey, this is Brandon Christensen, director of Z, and you're listening to Drinking and Screaming. Welcome, listeners, to Season 5, Episode 9 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar, and my pronouns are she, they. And I'm Kelly, and my pronouns are they, them. And this week, we are watching Z from 2019, and we are joined by the writer, director, editor, and almost everything else, Brandon Christensen. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be, per the director's request, unsettling and kind of unpleasant. <laughs> this episode will contain discussion on sexual abuse, starvation, generational trauma, and suicide. If any of these things are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you next time. So I made the drink today. Yeah, you did. I call it Night Night Drink. Because it'll knock you on your ass, probably. <laughs> um, I will preface by saying that I did not try this drink. I kind of just took what was suggested and made something like that. I just squeezed the lime into it. Yep, there is a lime involved. Doing a swirl. Yeah, so I will uh, describe what is in it before I even try it so that people at home can kind of visualize. What's the taste yeah. equivalent to visualize? Imagine. <laughs> There's got to be a word for like the flavor in your mouth is in your imagination. But it's anyways. So it's uh, <laughs> 1.5 ounces of a cinnamon whiskey from After Dark Distillery. Oh, 0.5 ounces of vanilla liqueur, uh, some Mad Lab smoky bitters and a lime wedge. Because I was like, let's put a little twist into it, I think. <laughs> I have to say, from my first sip, I think you didn't meet the brief of making it unpleasant. I actually enjoy this quite a bit. Damn, that is actually pretty good. It's really good. <laughs> it sounds like it, the flavors wouldn't really work together, especially the lime, but it actually does all come together really well. Yeah, I originally wanted to put orange in it, but we don't have any oranges. So I was like, all right, I want to put a little bit of citrus in there. And I thought maybe the lime would make it a little bit too tart for the cinnamon and, and vanilla flavors. But yeah. it's not awful. No. And I think it works. It does actually work well with the name that you gave it of the Nine Nights because um, you could totally have this as like an after dinner beverage an and then go to sleep. Um, and it is mostly liquor, so it will knock you out. Um, yeah, I think it's actually pretty good. I really like the cinnamon whiskey. Yeah, that's a new one from After Dark Distillery. I also like that they call it cinnamon. Because it's from Sycamore. <laughs> cinnamon, Sycamore, put them together. I get it. Yeah, it's like, um, real, like it tastes like real cinnamon, cinnamon in Yeah. Not like artificial. And it's a good, like, fall flavoring of a whiskey, too. Like, it, this is a fall cocktail, but it also kind of works because we're on the verge. We're almost at December now. Uh, of that like fall to winter uh, yeah. vibe. Maybe I'll try to make mulled wine again <clears throat> and not uh, overcook it, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the one thing I would change is as much as the lime does work, I would probably still put an orange, but I would also put like a whiskey cherry in there as well. Ooh, yeah, more fruity. More fruity. But uh, yeah, I failed, I guess. Maybe the, the real 
um, unsettlingness of it was the lead up. Like the idea that we thought it was going to be really bad is that is that fear, mm. I guess. I don't know. I tried. I think it goes well with the movie, too, though, because I've I've really enjoyed Z. We've watched it so many times and it's great. So it needs a good but a good drink to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to thank patrons. What? Yes. For uh, helping the show be so successful. I wanted to thank Roxanne B, Ollie A, Nicholas G, Jacob M, Diana S. Aiden T, Jackie V, Janet S, Cat K, Redhead Rebellion, Les Represent Podcast, Colleen D, and Aubrey L. Holy cow, there's so many of you. So many of you. Thanks so much. Uh, this this podcast would not exist without your help. Uh, we would we would cease to to function and disappear into the ethos. Just like Z. <gasps> Imagine drinking and screaming. <laughs> Imagine drinking and screaming. So this week, oh, you watch Z, which premiered on June 1st, 2019. It's written by Brandon Christensen and Colin Minihan, directed by Brandon Christensen and edited by Brandon Christensen. <laughs> Starring Keegan Connor Tracy as mom and childhood best friend of Z, Beth. Jet Klein as current BFF of imaginary friend Z, Joshua. And Sean Rogerson as physically there, but parentally absent dad <laughs> kevin this synopsis was written by an anonymous user of rotten tomatoes couldn't get any real synopsises on imdb what you do in imdb when beth and kevin's eight-year-old son joshua develops an imaginary friend named z they think it's cute but they soon realize just how wrong they are z becomes a terrible influence on josh and their innocent son turns into someone they barely recognize it's only when beth starts uncovering her own past that she learns josh's new friend z may not be so imaginary after all dun, dun, dun. <laughs> i feel like that's a pretty good short synopsis of what's going on yeah so Z gets very bad, causes Josh to throw a child off a balcony during a play date. And we see Z, a tall, skinny, monstrous man following Josh at play zone. And he also appears in Beth's bathtub during another night. And things just get worse and worse. Z continues to show himself as a threat more and more in the house. And Beth is left to deal with it on her own, unsupported by her husband. I would say just like actively being mocked by her husband. <laughs> she discovers that she actually used to have an imaginary friend named Z as well as a child. And during this discovery at the psychiatrist's office, Z causes the family home to burn down and also kills Kevin. Beth offers herself to Z in order to save her son, Josh. And the next day drops Josh off at her sister's in order to confront Z in her childhood home. Here, Beth spends multiple days cut off from the rest of the world, playing in quotations with Z and locking both her and him in the home. But she clearly misses her family. Z discovers this and escapes to go after Josh in a jealous rage, wanting only Beth for himself almost causing Josh to be killed by a train. Beth's attempts to stop him and save her son result in her hanging herself in her father's office, just like her own father did decades ago, and Josh lives. Beth also survives her suicide attempt, and the movie ends with Josh saying his night-nights to mom, dad, Aunt Jenna, and Z. Z. Hit me with that trailer audio. Oh, hi, Mommy. Wanna play? A lot of children have imaginary friends. 
and oftentimes it's a uh, positive experience. Not seeing what I've seen, you don't understand how bad it is. You saw Z, didn't you? He's here with you, isn't he, Get off that track! I never want to see you again! Once again, I think that trailer showed a bit too much. Little too much? Little too much. I thought it was weird that they started it off with Beth in the house. Like the ending of the movie was the start of the trailer. Whereas I feel like narratively that became quite a reveal. Yeah. Uh, One thing I noticed that is weird is the description of that trailer on YouTube says first trailer for Z wants to play. So I'm curious, curious if that was a title okay for it yeah we we didn't ask the director so we'll i guess we'll never know so i'm so sorry yeah but speaking of i mean we just have to go right in this interview was amazing and through the magic of editing it's gonna happen right now all right we have hit the scaredy facts section (laughs) of our episode on z and today we as said earlier are joined by writer editor producer director visual effects you name it Brandon Christensen. (laughs) What's up? Glad to be back. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for coming back and speaking with us again on Z, this Mm. uh, film. Oh, boy. So we've done, I mean, we're in the middle of our fifth season now on Drinking and Screaming. So we've analyzed quite a few. But I mean, as we spoke last time you were on, there's just so many films that we can never get through them all (laughs) but this movie stuck with me uh as one that for a while now i've been a bit desensitized to scares but z made me audibly react quite a few times (laughs) in in my first viewing of it um and i just want to kick right off with that balcony scene (laughs) we're diving into the spoilers um Please tell me everything you can about how you got the impact that you did. And was it as imp- like for me, that was where I, I screamed. I yeah, was so shocked. That was shocked. the first scream I remember. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I mean, that was that was kind of uh, the, the idea anyways of a kid falling over the thing. That was always just like one of the big moments I wanted to have in the film because, you know, having kids myself, anytime kids go upstairs to play and they're kind of roughhousing or something like that and you can hear it, you're just like waiting for that moment to happen. And so I think, you know, if you've got kids, it's definitely a moment that you'll kind of relate to. But um, we, so the first draft of the script, my wife and I wrote together and there was no friend that, you know, that it happened to. There was actually two brothers, like the younger and the older and the younger brother went over and, you know, had the thud and all that stuff. Um, but as we, you know, I, I call him Minahan joined me for the second draft and the subsequent drafts after, um, we kind of simplified it by only having one kid because, you know, working with kids is a nightmare. And um, it ended up kind of taking that 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 moment and transplanting it onto the friend. And so uh, it was, you know, it was it was always just like a big moment that I had to have, but I wasn't expecting it to have the impact that it did both like figuratively and literally because um in the script anyways the um the body just like there was no second tier to that fall you know it was just like upstairs main floor and it would just the way i wanted to shoot it was the body would just fall behind her and you would just sort of see the body hit the ground and it was still going to be horrifying but when we found that house and that was actually the next door neighbor's house from the main house that we were shooting at Mm. um 
because they were the only ones. Yeah. Well, they were the only ones nearby that would let us shoot because it's, it's, it's really hard to take over someone's house for a day or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, you know, we, we had to shoot this thing and we went in to scout it and it was just like, okay, so it goes up and it goes down and it's just like, that's a whole thing. There was no spot to, to drop this dummy that we had that was roughly the kid's size, um, onto the ground. So there was just no way to really do it. Um, so it was just like, okay, well, let's go down all the way, you know? And so we're shooting it. And basically we shot Chandra West's, her doing her performance. And then we had her, you know, lock the camera, moved her out of the way, and then shot a sequence of us dropping this dummy over the balcony. And uh, we did it a couple times and it was just like zoop and just like dropped right through. And then we're like, oh, it's so fast. Like you can't really see it. Like it's like, boom, boom, gone. So um, I had them wrap the banister on the main floor with a uh, bubble, like green bubble tape. And uh, then we started throwing the dummy at the railing. So it would kind of go like, <laughs> okay. you know, ping pong down. Oh, and, <laughs> and so we did that a number of times. And then it was just like, okay, you know, one of those, it made this horrible sound that part of, you know, <laughs> yeah. part of the sound design was the actual sound of it thunking off that <laughs> wood. But uh, yeah, we just threw it three or four times right at this thing, just kind of dropped it, make sure it hits it in a nice way. The body contorts all this stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just like, it was just one of those things that just kind of came together. The sound is really horrifying. It comes at the perfect time. And then when I did our, our, uh, world premiere, um, that's when I kind of heard the first response to it. Cause when you're, when you're doing, you know, a scare like that or a jump scare, something like that, like from my perspective, it's so technical, you know, you're mm-hmm. like, you, I, there's so many pieces that I'm putting together that I never really get to truly experience it. So I just have to rely on gut instincts and things like that. Um, so you're kind of timing everything to what you feel like is right and what will get a response. But when you see it in a crowd and you hear the kind of gasps and, and things like that, um, then it, you realize like, oh, wow, like this is going to be the thing that people talk about with this film. And then, um, you know, in the, the other festivals that I did, I would always pull my phone out and film the <laughs> response because it was always big and it was just kind of, it was kind of funny. So I, I put a thing online. It's like a behind the scenes of that scare Ooh. and it talks about like the script and all it's kind of what I just said, but, yeah, uh, cool. it has a bunch of those reactions from the crowds <laughs> um, nice. and yeah, it's, it's pretty cool just to yeah. hear it. Cause it's. You know, it just became like the calling card for the film. Mm-hmm. It was such a lasting impact. Like yeah. I, my jaw dropped, and you know that's such a saying. Like, yeah, I couldn't pick my jaw up off the floor. Uh, why do you <laughs> don't say that about the scene? <laughs> <laughs> I think that too. Like not seeing any aftermath of uh-huh. like the impact. Like it, your brain just builds right. this, the horrors of what it looked like. And that was a conversation too, because we did put the camera over the edge and had him lay on the ground screaming. Um, but I never wanted to show it. Like I thought it was always more interesting to hear it and hear the mom panicking and then have Keegan kind of run up, look down and react to something horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then look up at the kid. And that's really kind of the, the, the more important part of the story. So like we did debate having, you, you remember in it follows when the opening scene, when the girl's running and she calls her dad on the beach yeah. and then it just hard cuts to her leg busted and she's yeah. dead. Yeah. That kind of visual is, you know, it's awesome. 
but I was just, it never felt right for this film. So it's fair. Um, yeah. yeah, we didn't, we just never used it. I had like hot fuzz levels of gore in my head for that scene. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> the, the piece of stone falls off yeah. the, the building and crushes that guy's head. Yeah. It seemed like he survived it though. So yeah. that's yeah. good. But it's worse than you can imagine. <laughs> <Hopefully right>? No <laughs> lasting right. trauma. Well, that was funny too. Cause it was, you know, it's in another one of those things like scripted. He didn't go that far. So we yeah. have the, the scene where they're like discussing it afterwards. And she, you know, uh, Sean Rogerson's talking to the other parent. And when we were filming it, there were uh, like scripted, there was actually like, oh, he broke his hip and his collar, blah, blah, blah. And we, we put a, you know, we put a label on it. And when we were, we were blocking the scene, it was just like, let's just remove any details of what happened and just keep it as vague as possible. Because <laughs> if we, if we say what happened there, like everyone's going to call bullshit. So it's yeah. just like, Oh man, it's you don't even want to know like that 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 level of vagueness so the audience can continue to fill in the blanks themselves. Mm-hmm. Speaking of not really wanting to know, uh, the visuals of Z, this is the buildup of what uh, the creature actually looks like. Can you talk about like your inspiration for the design of the monster? Yeah, so I mean, this is always the difficult thing when you're doing an indie and and you're the only real person that can come up with the design of the you know the creature. Um, you know, if I was in Hollywood and this was, you know, this was happening, it'd be like, here, concept artists, send me 30 sketches of what Z might look like. And then they do it and they give you something great. And you go, I like this one, go do that. And then people go do that. But in this case, there is no, you know, nobody like that. So they go, Brandon, what does this creature look like? (laughs) It's just like, I don't know. And you're like, it's, you know, you're kind of like exhausting the limits of your imagination. And, and you end up with the tall, skinny, naked guy, because that's, I, I actually that's a terrible way of saying that but that is that's not what i'm always thinking about but <laughs> I mean, with with horror, some of us. <laughs> with horror i think it's a pretty safe bet you know you always have the the tall skinny naked guy like when you see you know like wreck or something like that it's mm-hmm. just yeah balls. it's always scary there's those those people with those kind of bodies they they get a lot of work in horror because mm-hmm. it's creepy um and so that was kind of like the impetus for the idea and I wanted it to have a big smile that was the idea was basically it had this big kind of smile that was straining to keep itself shut. And then it's like it was just like playing happy. So when, you know, once it actually shows its real smile, and it's got all these sharp teeth, it's kind of like a piranha, whatever. Um, it, you know, it's just so, so it's kind of got that. So the, the, the biggest thing was just like, how do we how do you make something that a kid would want to play with? And, and that was always like the struggle too, because you're like, you want it to be scary, but it also has to be relatable enough for an eight-year-old to play with. And it's just like these endless battles. And so you end up just getting the tall, skinny, naked guy with the smile <laughs> and you kind of just figure out more things in post. So um, we cast this guy that was tall and really agile with his body. And, uh, and then when we were filming, we also had um, the artwork that ends up going up on the wall. Uh, like it was just a chalk, uh, a charcoal drawing on a piece of paper, but uh, it was just like, oh, you know, it's such a cool looking thing. But at the same time, it's like there's no way an eight year old drew this. So it was just like this will be our temporary thing that we refer to or whatever, and uh, we'll we'll change it later. And it just was one of those things. Like again, like there's just no time, <laughs> there's no money, so it just never changed, and it just was what it was. Um, but yeah, it was just like, and it was just an evolving thing because you're dealing with the imagination. It's, uh, 
there's it's not like a concrete idea like it it can change Mm -hmm. and so it does change and it kind of looks like different things um it almost becomes like a rorschach test of what you know what the you think beth is thinking or something like that and it and it kind of changes depending on who's looking at it um but yeah that was definitely the hardest and even just writing the script like that was always the hardest thing is just like how do you physically shoot the imagination and it's just how do you, you have to put rules on it you have to do these things and that was you know that was definitely the hardest part of the script was just figuring out how you kind of ground the idea of an imagination and an imaginary friend mm-hmm. um and so it's you know it's that that it was a tough script to write for sure yeah that's interesting that's something i didn't actually notice that the the z in the bathtub now that i'm looking at the two images is very different from the one that's standing in the corner behind the doctor Right. Like the one and in the it, corner it, is more jacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, he, the guy was super jacked when we did it, but, and, and I think part of that, cause we had a guy like, that's really a guy. And I just, I kind of made his face a little different in post, but um, when we started production, like he started starving himself. Mm-hmm. And so we shot uh, the fur, the bathtub in week one. And then we shot the corner one I in the final week. Um, Oh no, I sorry, it was the third week, but uh he had definitely dropped a ton of weight by that point because he was just like starving himself because he wanted to look as, you know, emaciated as possible. Mm. Um but yeah, I mean it, the one in the corner kind of looks like the doctor a little bit too, like he's he's very it's almost like a a mirror image of the doctor a little bit, like has those long sharp features and the slicked hair and stuff like that. Um yeah, we were it was always just like a thing that we were playing with in post production. Yeah, I'm curious too. This is like a little bit of a heavy topic, but with the monster of Z and what he was representing in the film, what I put on it was sort of like a generational trauma. Mm-hmm. There's like definitely, well, I'm saying definitely. You tell me because you're the writer, but <laughs> I felt like there was a lot of history of abuse in the family with how. Um, the sisters were talking about the mom and the, their mom and dad and that whole relationship there. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah. Um, it's definitely one of those things that you, you put in hints and you don't want to directly explain it in the film because mm-hmm. I think it is better if someone can watch it and put themselves into it a little bit more, you know, like they can, you, they can see certain things that kind of, uh, you know, maybe they've experienced like the, you know, parent dying or, or something like that. Um, so it was, it was always just kind of like, I I didn't want to spell it out. I wanted to hint at the idea that, you know, Z has been there longer than, you know, obviously it has because Beth had her as a kid, but you know, with the parallels of how Beth hangs herself and her dad uh, hanged himself, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're endlessly drawing these parallels in her family tree and you don't know how far up the tree it goes um, but yeah, it's definitely intentional to make you kind of draw illusions of, um, uh, you know, uh, hereditary diseases or things like that. Things passed down through a bloodline or whatever it, you know, you could take it that direction. You can kind of say, is it like, just like a supernatural thing that's attached itself to this family? Um, it really is kind of left up for interpretation for the viewer. I don't like to put a exact definition on it because it kind of robs the viewer of that kind of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that agency that they have to, to put themselves onto it. Cause I think the moment that you, you say, Oh, this is what it is. It kind of eliminates half of the people from being like, Oh, I thought it was this. Connecting. Yeah. 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 And so it did, it's, it's like with how 
like you were saying, all these different options that it could have been like that was very prevalent. And but it yeah. still felt like the threat was still there. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. for me, it really reminded me um, for those of you listening that have seen uh, Haunting of Hill House, the like mm-hmm. smile uh, mini arc right. was very um, hand in hand for me with this yeah. film. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it sucked because I was editing this film when that show came out and I watched that and it was just like an hour long episode about an imaginary friend that was from a ceiling and and it was so damn good. <laughs> that I was just like, I was like, why am I even bothering? Like, they just did it, you know, and I was so pissed off when I watched it because I mean, you're already in that state where you're putting together this thing. And since I'm editing it myself, like it's so you're so involved with every decision and you're like. You know, you're you're. It's so like uh, it makes you so vulnerable because you have to mm-hmm. show people your work, and you go, "Hey, this is what I did." And so, like when I saw that, and I was cutting the first cut, which is always terrible, um, I was just super vulnerable, and I was just like, "God damn it!" Like this, <laughs> I'll never be as good as this. Like with these characters that are developed over these episodes, blah blah blah. Um, and eventually, like you realize, like, oh, okay, this is its own thing. It's not a copycat of something that I didn't know existed until after mm-hmm. I shot the film. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a bummer. But um, I mean, to me, the the most important thing is just like where the what the characters are experiencing and how you know the relationships that you're seeing. So you can draw the you know there's there's a moment. It's really small when when Beth looks at the picture of her mom and dad, and she kind of like covers herself a little Mm -hmm. bit and it's just to give you an idea that there you know her relationship with her father and her mom by extension wasn't that good like i you know there is definitely a history of something there if it's abuse if it's whatever but i definitely think that in the final act when she's living with z um she's working out a lot of those things and you know whatever relationship she had with her dad i think she's kind of reliving that and being tormented by that um and so that, you know, that definitely takes it away from like hereditary diseases and into something entirely different. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, yeah, so it's definitely just one of those things that you want to leave open enough. But I, I have some clear ideas of what I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. It makes the uh, doctor seem more like a villain if it a- is actually a supernatural creature. <laughs> yeah, to let her live with that and not, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. it's all in your head. And yeah. then does a wellness check with a bunch of cops from the guns. <laughs> yeah, I thought sure. it was fucked up that um, he was like, Yeah, your dad just stopped bringing you. So I assumed it was fine. Yeah. Like, okay. Lot, he's got a lot of patience. He can't be checking in on everybody. <laughs> yeah. But then fast forward to this and he does a wellness check on her with the fucking cops. Like, holy shit. He knows something's up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, You're actually the first person that we've had on the show that's also edited the films. Mm -hmm. And um, I would love to hear a bit more about like the editing, your editing process um, as a filmmaker and how a film can really change during that mm-hmm. stage. I guess it's different when you're also the director, but still <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that I like to do because I've always edited, you know, my own stuff, but uh, uh, yeah, there, there's so much power in what you can change in post-production. Z is totally just like the biggest example of that. Um, it, I mean, the process is basically you finish shooting uh, the footage, either you sync it up or someone else does ideally because it's a painful process, <laughs> but you get <laughs> yeah. the footage and you have this, you know, giant slab of marble in front of you and you're just like, what the hell, where do I start? And it's, it's kind of just like, 
close your eyes and dive right in and just sort of start putting pieces together. And you know, your timeline's kind of sporadic. You've got like scene one and you've got scene 40 and you've got scene 80. And uh, Z had uh, 185 scenes, I think, in the script, which it was only like an 80 page script. That is an absurd amount of scenes. You know, <laughs> like if you look at Superhost, uh, it had like 105 and like 90 pages. And if you look at any script that's this length, like it's usually around the 120, 130 thing. So Z is just like, there were so many scenes packed into it that um, as I was editing it, like I was, I was quickly realizing that a lot of stuff was redundant. Uh, a lot of stuff just, you know, didn't need to be there. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't even finish a scene. I'd just be like, this scene's never going to work. So I just put it into like a graveyard of scenes that I was, I was, uh, collecting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. You know, you, you, you kind of just go through the film as scripted and you put it all together and then you have kind of like a rough assembly and you watch it and then you fall into like a horrible depression for like a month because you're like, this movie sucks. <laughs> I've ruined the movie. It's terrible. The, you know, everything sucks. Every decision I made was wrong. It's nice and that every, that you feel that way too. We feel yeah. that when we <laughs> do it's, our it's episodes. Awful. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's, it's a universal thing. Like another, you know, David Sandberg, I talked to him before about him before he does a channel about test screenings and it, it totally nails the feeling that you have when you watch a first cut where like, even if like, I'll watch it alone and I'll be like, Oh, this is, this is working. This is working. But then it's like, Hey, come in here and watch this. And you're watching it. And you're just like seeing every flaw <laughs> magnified by a million percent and it's just awful. And so you take a month off and you start to just like come up with new ways to attack things. But it's with Z and because there were so many scenes, like there were so many story changes made. Um, one in particular was um, after, after she drugs Josh for the first time and they have the quiet dinner alone and stuff like that. In the script, it was like she drugs them and then they go to the 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 mom's house and they're packing and all that stuff. But um, you know, when I was when I was watching, I was just like, man, it's just so fast. Like she drugs them, he's immediately he's immediately drugged, and it's just like it's just so quick. There's no like there's no time to buffer those two scenes together. So I just sort of created a new night scene. Like they go, they have dinner and it's quiet, whatever. He's not eating, he won't eat the carrots, and then um. I just found raw, like rough footage of the house and I kind of created this fake night scene. So if you watch the film, they have this dinner and then it shows like a shot of the stairs and then it shows a shot of Josh looking at the poster on the wall or the the drawing on the wall and yeah. just like having this back and forth. And like that was all just footage like, from other stuff. footage from other <laughs> pieces that I just combined. And like the shots of the the charcoal drawing, that was all daytime stuff that I recolored to look <laughs> like night. Um it just became like an extra buffer and then you go into the next scene and he's drugged and it makes sense. And it's just like a lot of things like that, that, uh, you don't really think about while you're shooting. Um, you just sort of think about it after the fact, or you, you know, you might not, and the movie's going to be worse for it. But I definitely learned on stillborn when I was, I was editing that and I edited that with Colin Minahan. Um, just, there's a lot of things like that that you can do where you can take different scenes, even if they're like, you know, you shoot, you know, you got scene one, two, three, four, five, but all of a sudden you realize, oh, well, five would work better after one. So let's move that there. And, and it's amazing the continuity, like how little continuity matters. And ultimately, <laughs> like if you, you know, if you watch like her clothes change throughout the day, because I shifted things around, but I, I can't even remember like, you know, it was a couple of years ago now, but if you looked at the timeline, 
it goes like scene one, two, three, 38, five, six, <laughs> 18, you know, and it's like, it's all over the place. And it's just amazing how much you can trick the audience by doing stuff like that. I just assumed that's what rich people do, change their clothes throughout the day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, they just get tired of a shirt. Yeah. Discard it. They go they go work out or something and then they change mm-hmm. into an entirely different outfit. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um I'm also curious about like your directing style. You mentioned earlier how you shifted the script from two kids to one because working with kids is so like such a hassle. Mm-hmm. No uh, offense to any children out there. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, can you tell more us more about your directing style and if that like shifted because there was a, a child actor on set? Uh, I mean, that was that was the big fear going into this film. But we got st- stupid lucky with Jet Klein because like we put out a casting um, uh, notice just on Facebook just to sort of feel, you know, because we were shooting in Calgary where there's not, you know, a ton of uh, actors there. But we put out mm-hmm. a just like a, a, ca- a general casting call to just see what was around and what was available for us. And then we would eventually go to the casting process, which, you know, a little formally. Um, and literally like 30 minutes after posting that, someone who knew uh, Jet's mom had sent it to Jet's mom and then Jet's mom reached out to us and she's just like, here, I'm submitting his resume and his headshot, blah, blah, blah. Here you go. And we were just kind of looking at this kid's resume, like, like what the hell like who is this kid like he's been in skyscraper he's been in the boy he's been in all these things and i was just like okay reach out immediately so you know we're talking to his mom and we set a call and and we basically just cast him like immediately because it was just like so lucky just a total fluke that we got this kid and then when we were going to set like and we were starting to shoot like the fear is like okay you've got a kid you know i've worked with my own kids and their nightmares um but he comes to set and he was just like as polished as normal actors go. were. Yeah. Yeah. So it was never like, Oh, the kids on set, the kids on set. It was just like jets on set. You know, it was yeah. very casual. I mean, once you get to like midnight and the, you know, he can no longer maintain his professionalism and he turns into a little shit. Um, <laughs> and, and that's Damn just, a problem. yeah, it's just like you, you lose that focus because he's a human being. But, and he's like eight or nine at the time. So that was the challenging part for sure. was just like, the first two weeks of that shoot were all overnight. So you're going from like 6 PM, 6 AM. And inevitably we would try and shoot his stuff as early as possible, but you'd get to the point where sometimes you're at, you know, one o'clock, two o'clock and you know, he's a lot less cooperative there. But, um, uh, I, I mean, as far as directing styles, I mean, I try and, I try and keep things light because, you know, you're making horror films and you want to, you know, it, it, it's very easy to fall into those traps of like getting super serious and getting caught up in things. And so just trying to keep people's energies up and things like that and trying to at least, uh, even if I don't know what I'm doing, which I usually don't, as long as I can um, pretend I am, you know, so it's a lot of lying and just per- fake confidence. <laughs> um, and just, you know, having having, even if it's not like a good plan, having somewhat of a plan so you can um, you know, you can, you can be ready for the shots that you want and stuff like that. You have a general idea of what you're doing. Um, I think a lot of people on the set, they'll, they'll respect that if you, you know, okay, we're doing this next and you're able to kind of convey things. And I guess the biggest thing that I, you know, I'm continuing to learn every time I do this, but, uh, the big thing is just trying to track the emotional, uh, where the characters are emotionally, you know? So, you're not like, you know, if you give direction, it's coming from a place of their emotional state rather than, 
some sort of technical note. It's like, well, you know, you, you were, you were just standing over there and now you're standing <laughs> here. So you're kind of like a little bent out of shape about it. It's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? But if you can, you know, it's like, well, think about it. You know, you just, you just saw your kid push a kid off a balcony. I mean, you're devastated, you know, like what would you think as a parent if you're, you know, and you can kind of give hypotheticals and kind of go down that way. Mm-hmm. You're, you're giving them more of an emotional place to work from, which I think actors appreciate. Some don't, some do some like the technical. Yeah. But I remember when I was shooting Stillborn, there was one moment where uh, uh, Christy Burke is looking out a window and seeing her neighbor's kid, and she's really like losing her mind. She hasn't slept. She's like totally wired. And uh, we were filming it, and I was just like, "We, you know, I'm watching her. She was, she was so close to crying, and I thought it was gonna be great. I was like, okay, now cry, <laughs> you know. And 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 she just stopped. She's like, I can't. What are you doing? Like you did totally, totally. And I was just like, what have I done? I feel like such an idiot. And I was just like, that was such a first time director's mistake that if I had just said like, like you have to take that baby, she's going to, you know, if you don't take that baby, your baby's going to die. She totally would have cried and it would have been perfect. But because I gave her a technical note, um, totally just destroyed any ability uh, for her to get to that place. And so that that's kind of been a big learning experience for me is just try and treat the characters, uh, you know, treat them in the world that they're in so that they don't have to like leave it to, to go back and forth. You're just get feeding what is currently happening yeah. rather than being, you know, focusing on that shit. I, I mean, we that. love hearing stories like that because it, in the horror genre, there are some a terrible directors out there in terms of how they treat their actors. So if your worst story is I, I asked my actor to cry, like bravo. I mean, that's, that's not the worst. I mean, that's the worst for me personally because I, everyone was watching me and everybody knew that I screwed up. So that was definitely uh, just a personal one that sticks out a lot, yeah. and it's something that I'm working on. But I mean, you know, I mean, when you're when you're doing a film like this, you're ultimately good for like one or two meltdowns because. <laughs> it's just going to happen. There's so much stress and you, you've got so many things that you have to get that when things don't work out the way that you want them to, it's just like, you know, you just, it's hard sucks. in yeah, the moment. Yeah. We're all it human. sucks for sure. <laughs> Was this so also like a really tight timeline as well? Uh, yeah, we did 20 days. So it was four weeks of five. Um, and like I said, like the first two weeks were overnight. So you're just, you're not working full at full mental capacity. Cause once like two, two AM rolls around, you know, things start getting loopy, people slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really, really challenging to to work that way. And so, you know, once you got to the second or the third and fourth weeks, our schedule was pretty normal. It was like, you know, six to six in the you know morning to yeah. afternoon or night, you know, evening. Um, you just are able to function a lot better. You get home and it's still bright. You know, it's just like, it just feels normal. So when you're in that like night, you're always working in the night. I don't know. It just makes you go crazy. So, um, that you know, when I went to Superhost, that was the big thing. It's like, let's do a daytime Day, movie. Yeah. <laughs> Day horror is great. Yay. And I, I now and I liked it a lot. It was it was, you know, so much easier. Awesome. Yeah. With uh, Z, we talked already about the balcony shot. Mm-hmm. Was there another was that like the most difficult shot to get? It seemed actually pretty like procedural from what your description yeah, technically of it. it was pretty simple just because i mean just figuring out that the kid was gonna bounce was the big <laughs> part of it. it was just like oh that's way better when it bounces off the railing <laughs> um, but yeah i mean from a from a production standpoint i i guess the hardest was probably the fire sequence mm. because was um, it real fire 
No. <laughs> uh, but so I mean, and this is another thing too, is like this was the set the 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 last day at that house because we burnt it down. Yeah, it was, yeah, the, last, it was mm-hmm. the last day at that house. Um and I like no, you know, I'm doing the visual effects. I've never done fire before, so I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, but the big problem was we basically scheduled the entire afternoon, which is like, you know, six hours we had to do this fire sequence, which is pretty involving. You know, she pulls up, she runs in, she coughs, she goes upstairs, blah, she sees Kevin, blah. Oh, you know, there's quite a bit of stuff there. But um, we we started outside and immediately we light everything up and then all of a sudden all the lights boom they go down and everyone's kind of like standing there you know at night and they're like what what happened and it turns out the generator died no Mm. one had filled it so we sent the pa or one of the pas off to get gas but it was like you know midnight and we're out in the country there's no gas stations open so we had to drive like an hour and a half and then an hour and a half back and to get this gas and so we're all just standing there like there's nothing we can do because we have no we have no way to light this fire because you need light to make it seem like it's on fire and so we just you know that six hour window all of a sudden becomes three hours and you're just like this is the big effect sequence of the film (laughs) i don't know what i'm doing no one knows what they're doing so it was just like you know we're all waiting and then we finally get light they they get the light back up and it was just like uh, you know what are the absolute essential pieces of the sequence that we need for it to play and we're just basically like shoot this shoot this go 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 you know just like running from spot to spot getting through this whole thing and you're you're you know you're trying to shoot jet crying and it's like 2 30 a.m and he's you know he's freaking you know all this stuff we just had to shoot so fast that um it, it was just terrible you know such a bad way to do this giant thing and just to have you know you're already like okay we're up against the wire here we only got six hours Okay, all of a sudden we cut it in half. It's like, it's just, you know, that's the tough thing about um, indies is just not having the time. And then you take it into post and it's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I had to figure that out. And that was like something that I was working on all the way until, you know, it was done, done. Like I was, I was coloring the film with the DP, Brad, and we would be up all night and I would just be doing VFX over here and trying to fix fire pieces that would fall apart when he put it into color. Like all of a sudden something would clip different and you're just like, God damn it. And it's so <laughs> intense. Like there was like, you know, all these fire assets are a 4k. So I'm on a little laptop in Vancouver and it's taken like two and a half hours to render one shot. And I'm just sitting there. I'm just, Oh, it was awful. <laughs> that, but uh, I have to ask you now, are you Canadian? Cause we're Canadian. Oh, are you? Yeah. yeah, I'm from Canada. I, I live in the States now. Where okay. are you guys? We live in Vancouver. We're currently in Salmon okay. Arm, but uh, yeah, Vancouver is our home base. Yeah, I'm from Calgary. And nice. so that's why we shot Z and Stillborn in Calgary. Uh, like Stillborn was my parents' house. Oh, cool. Nice. We, we lost our location like a week before production. It was, you know, a last minute bagging. Oh, boy. <laughs> there was a, yeah. I think the, the shot in Z with the train going by, it says like Canada right. Rail. Canada. Like, yeah. Yeah, there you go. yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. was like in Mosley, about 90 minutes from Calgary. It was just uh, this short track that this guy is privately owned. He owns a bunch of cabooses and things like that. And he does like, uh, um, what's the, the Christmas Santa 
train oh, yeah. ride. Oh yeah, the holiday train. Yeah, oh, holiday. Yeah, whatever. This is the Express something Express Christmas. What I don't know what it's called. There's a Tom Hanks movie called that. But, um, <laughs> the Polar Express. <laughs> the Polar Express. That's what he does. So he does. You know, this guy just runs this train, and you can rent it privately for parties and stuff like that. And so we had this stretch that we could use, and and we had it for a very short period of time. It was like uh, two hours or something was all we could afford because wow. it was very expensive. Um, and so we had, you know, we, uh, we, it was, that was like, that was cool too, because, um, that was like everybody dialed in. Cause I, my, my, uh, line producer, Chris and I, we basically the night before came up with like, these are the shots we need to get for the story. Um, let's get these. And if we have time, cause we didn't know how long a train takes to <laughs> drive, stop, reverse, go back. You know, we didn't know how many, we were like, okay, we probably have like three takes. And so we, we had like all these different, we had three cameras, we had a drone, we had GoPro that we could put on the train. We had everything kind of like dialed in for that thing. And so we, we had to shoot it, you know, shoot this thing. And then we realized very quickly, like, oh, this is actually really fast. Like the train goes, stops, reverses, goes. And, and we, instead of having like three or four takes, which we planned, we ended up getting like 12 or something like that. Oh, that's so, nice. Yeah, that was cool. Cause it was just like, okay, now we can have multiple takes of Sarah running alongside the train and, and, you know, all these things. And so that, that was really nice to be able to not be forced into this, you know, three or four different goes. Um, but that, you know, that was crazy. Those, those things are huge and fast <laughs> and dangerous. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it was cool. Like it was a lot of fun to watch them go. And you're just like, man, like you're just like an adult playing with real trains, you know, like it, <laughs> it was, it was pretty crazy and That's it was great. hot. I, I, you know, it was like 40 degrees Celsius there. It was ridiculously oh, wow. hot. Um, we were all like, my brain was overheating the entire, I couldn't think straight. Everyone had ice packs on their heads. Yeah. yeah like, you know, you, you know, growing up in camp, you never expect that. I live yeah. in Las oh, Vegas. Yeah. We get that all the time, but I'm used to it here. Like I can hide inside and I do, you know, <laughs> go inside air conditioning, but there it's like out in the middle of nowhere. There's no air conditioning. You're just outside under maybe a little tent, uh, at some points and just overheating. And you, it's so hard to work like that. Yeah. Um, but that was weird because you know, for Calgary to get 40 degrees, ugh, it, was, yeah. it was no, no good. Mm -hmm. no I good. mean, we had that heat wave this summer that was mm -hmm. awful. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually have a question from a listener. Nice. Uh, they say, uh, as a writer slash director of scary movies, uh, is there a specific film that has the ability to scare you or are you now desensitized? Um, that's a good question. I, there, I mean, I can, I'm not as like sensitive to gore or anything anymore, you know, like mm -hmm. that was definitely when I was in my late teens and I was chasing all of the, you know, the grossest films, the Serbian film, murder set pieces, things like that. You, you, and just like with the internet, with like live leak rotten, all those sites that are just loaded with that stuff or used to be because they don't exist anymore. But, um, the gore side of things, I'm more interested from a technical level. Um, Tension still works really good. Like, you know, I just saw Malignant and, you know, no one does creepy slow night stuff like James Wan. Like <laughs> he's still, even though that's not really what that movie is, it starts that way. Um, so I think like I'm still a hundred percent good to be like tense, you know, yeah. um, green room was a movie that was just like, so hard to watch yeah. because it's just so <laughs> intense like that. You know, when you think of like, edge of your seat films that was that for uh, me you know yeah. <laughs> it's it just you're put into the situation and that was a huge inspiration for superhost too because it's like um 
you're just put into a situation and it's like live or die, make your choice kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's, it's so realistically presented in green room and the, you know, they're making believable choices and they're doing things, but they're in such a bad situation that it's just gut wrenching to watch. So I think like tension films like that, uh, they definitely still get me. Um, and, you know, I'm still going to jump. Yeah, at a jump scare like anybody else, but I'll appreciate, you know, I, I definitely, you know, and, and the big thing for me is visual effects. Like when I'm watching a film and I see a bad green screen car driving comp, I lose my mind. Yeah. You know, like I, I cause I, I've done so many of them. I know how hard they are, but uh, I'll be watching something and it takes me out immediately. Yeah. Like mal- uh, going to malignant. Cause I just watched it. Um, they're not great. I mean, they're okay, but you can definitely tell. <laughs> I remember watching True Detective and I was just like, these car screen green, uh, green screens in the first season are so bad. And I was losing my mind. Um, House of Cards had terrible green screens in cars. And uh, every time I'm just like, you know, so visual effects like screen comps, green screen, like if it's a computer screen and I can tell, that'll take me out of anything more oh, yeah. uh, than, yeah. than anything. That's the I, true horror. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I, I'm pretty good at just like turning my brain off for, for technical things and just enjoying something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, that's definitely, you know, the, the goal anyways that you want when people do it to your film. So I think it's, you know, you got to be respectful when you're watching stuff. It's just the, the, the things that stick out to me now more than anything are, are technical things like that. Um, but scares, you know, I, I'll totally get, tense like i think you know, like the bent neck the bent neck lady episode of oh, uh, yeah. Hill house like that was so good mm-hmm. just creepy and and, and it is super effective i mean you still have the moments like looking down an alleyway and lights are flickering and things get you know i'm totally down for that like that's that's that's, that's up my alley for scare for scares um, I've been, uh, we may, we may sometimes make my mom watch these movies with us uh-huh. and after watching Z, we had her watch it. Uh, and now I'm just drawing Z around her house to freak her out. And it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. effective. Uh, we asked you this last time, uh, what cocktail would you think would be a good pair for Z? Um, you would think I would have thought about this, but, um, <laughs> last time I picked a seltzer cause it was such a light and fun movie. This one is the exact opposite. Mm. It's like uh, a very dark, shitty feeling foreboding, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of movie. So I think you need something like, like a scotch on the rocks, something that you're not really going to enjoy. <laughs> you know, I was going to say that you're, I, you're I telling Kelly <laughs> something that you know? they want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I, you know, I would, it, it's something that you just sort of sip in little bits like that. Uh, it's just, it's, you, yeah, I, I, it's, you don't want to enjoy something that you're drinking. You want to feel like shit because that's how the movie's going to fit, make you feel like shit. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think having some grown up drink like that, that you would get at a dusty bar in New York, I think is the way you got to go here. You don't, you don't want to drink anything fun and light because this ain't it. All right. So the cocktail is <laughs> going to be a bottom shelf whiskey in a dirty glass. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No ice, nothing, just yeah. warm. <laughs> I'll slide the whiskey over to you. So you just yeah. have the bottle and the dirty glass. So it all that. spills on the counter and you have to like use your hand to, to slide it off the counter into the glass. Uh, yeah, like I get, I like getting that perspective because mine, I was like, okay, so it's a kid with like a, like a right. imaginary friend. We'll do something like a child's drink, but it's like also sort you, of dirty and like you can put an orange garnish on it to make it look like it'll be fun, but the the <laughs> it's actually empty. Like the there is no 
orange in that. It's just the skin, the the, the peel. Yeah, it's oh, also yeah. an old orange. <laughs> yeah, it's a very old orange. It's been rotting away in the dark for a while. <laughs> well, thank you so much for discussing rotting oranges with us, Brandon. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, no worries. Um, we will see you um, maybe another time. Yeah, maybe when we do Stillborn. Yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> or next year I'll have something else for you guys. Excellent. So we'll we'll Excellent. do one for that. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This season of Drinking and Screaming would not be possible without the support of Mad Lab Distillery. With us since the very beginning, this distillery is Canadian and we love everything they create. We use their smoky bitters in this week's drink. You can get their amazing products at a private liquor store near you or at madlabdistilling.com. Y'all, I haven't even received this yet. I hope that we're going to get it sent to us. Evil Amy just released a Scream backpack. It's one of those like really cute mini backpacks that are kind of like a purse, but they go on your back. Mm -hmm. And it's got the ghost face mask on it. Very cool. You can get yours. They ship globally at EvilAmyStarashop.com. And you can use code EVIL10 for 10% off your purchase. If we get it, we should put it on Buddy. Thank you so much to After Dark Distillery for becoming a season sponsor. This week we use their Cinnamoose Whiskey, which Whoa. has been very good. And, uh, you know, I'm going to start slurring soon. It's not overly cinnamony, too. Like sometimes cinnamon is a flavor that can really get overpowered mm-hmm. or o- be overpowering, I should say. Yeah, but it's definitely, uh, uh, it's making room. It's making space for the flavor. <laughs> Uh, we're thrilled to explore their flavored moonshines and other delicious products and can't wait to showcase more of them on the show. You can get your own at AfterDarkDistillery.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Drink underscore Scream, on Facebook at Drink and Scream, and you can email us at DrinkingAndScreaming at gmail.com. I also want to say that we're coming up to our 100th episode. If you have any special things that you want to send in and be read out on the show, go ahead and send us that email or DM us on socials. For more information and to buy some merch, go to DrinkingAndScreaming.com. We also would love... If you would go review us on Apple Podcast or Podchaser or both, it will help more folks find the show. Pretty please. Thank you. Please and thank you. Um, all right. It's wait. Hold up. We got to hmm. We got to get to Z again, but first we have to go through A to Y. Oh god. I don't know. I was I was thinking of like That was bad. Just go back to the episode. No, no, no. Before we go back to the episode, <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping you all hostage. I was trying to think of a joke this entire time that there were 25 other movies that are just called A, B, C, D, all the way down to Y. Uh-huh. And I was like, does it matter that I haven't seen A to Y yet? But it never came in. And now I have to force it in here. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sorry. Back to the episode. <laughs> That was incredible. I, I'm so glad that we got to have the chance to talk with Brandon Christensen about this film. I hope we have him on the show again. Always such a joy. Thank you so much for coming back with us. And it lets me do my favorite joke, which is us recording this section. I just have to wait 10 seconds and then be like, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but Kelly, what's that? What? There's something by your feet. Is it Buddy? No, it's not Buddy. Oh, no. I thought, oh, I thought you were doing the entire bit. 
No. Oh, okay. I thought we were switching. (laughs) (laughs) It's because you don't have my instructional guide on how to do the bits. Yes. Here you go. It's this leather bound book, but the leather is actually made of of human skin. Ah! You need to know how to do this bit. So it's time to open the Reckonomicon. Don't break the spine. It's made of real spine. (laughs) My recommendation is Daniel Isn't Real from 2019, which is about a teen who deals with an imaginary friend from his past that begins to take over his body. Daniel Isn't Real from 2019. Uh, My recommendation is The Babadook from 2014. The Babadook. Duck. Duck. It's very similar themes of a mother not being sure if the creature tormenting her and her kid are real. Um, is real. That's one. Yep. Uh, this uh, night night drink is really kicking me in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the Babadook's kind of like if Tim Burton made Z. Uh, so go check it out. That's the Babadook from 2014. And it's also time for final thoughts. We're just wrapping this episode off with a bow. Woo. Um, This is the third time we've watched this movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm still deeply unsettled every time Z comes on screen. Yes, I agree completely. Especially the first like tunnel scene. Oh, yeah. I just noticed this time around that. While he's running through the tunnel, he's looking at Beth and his head is like twitching while he's moving. And I Blah. I do not like it. No, thank you. But also, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> What's your final thought? That this film does a really good job of providing a long lasting feeling of being creeped out. So it's sort of like a, a, a backpack onto your final thought, Kelly, that from the first big jump scare of the balcony scene, I was just hooked on this movie and it just kept going in such a great way. I found that the sense of dread is, is really prevalent in the film and it's, it goes exactly where you want it to go. And I also really like diving into the theories of what actually caused Z, what Mm. Z actually is. I thought that our discussions with Brandon was really cool. Yeah. Uh, And it's still, every time we watch it, like I, I actively comment like, but what about this as we're watching? (laughs) So I can't wait to watch the next thing that Brandon comes out with. I hope it's soon. Yeah, me too. Well, that's been Z, a movie about why you should never have kids, which I think I've said already, but it needs to be reiterated. (laughs) Next week, we'll be watching Gunjam Haunted Asylum from 2018 with special guest Megan Murphy of Anomaly Film Fest. And remember, always scream responsibly. And clunk, clunk. Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 